Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me from the virtual studios in beautiful South Bend, Indiana, is the man who created laughing gas for cats, the one and only Ken Hellenius. Ken, <laughs> how are you doing, my friend? Have you ever heard a cat laugh 15 <laughs> pitches too high? That's what America had been waiting for, and I'm just so excited that I was able to use my creative talents to bring laughing gas to uh, to the, the cat-owning world. Amazing. <laughs> you're so, you're you're so talented, Ken, I tell you. <laughs> oh, golly. So how have you been, my friend? Very well. You know, uh, so the football season is over here at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, now we're waiting to see what happens in the playoffs and stuff like that. I got to go to a number of games this year. I, I actually went to the last home game to senior day, and it was lovely. I mean, that was a blowout. It was 55 to nothing uh, at the end of the game. And that was... wow. That's exciting because I stayed till the very end because at that point you're like, are they going to actually keep a shutout alive? And so that was pretty exciting. I'm not going to lie to you. And uh, I feel bad for the fans of Georgia Tech who traveled all the way up to the cold, uh, to, to the cold snows. Uh, well, not quite snows, but the cold of uh, South Bend. But, uh, but you know, thanks for coming and giving us all a good experience. Fun times. So it was oh, good time. Fantastic. How are you? Yeah, doing well, you know, uh, doing a was doing a bit of traveling, and um, you know, it's so, it's just so good to be back out in front of real people again, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, yeah. being be in front of real people. So, so recently, I spoke at a high school, and then the men's conference in the Gary, Indiana, sure, uh, just area. down the street from me. Yeah, yeah, not too far from you. And then I spoke at the men's conference in uh, San Francisco. Awesome. And then I have a brand new podcast that's going to be launching in a couple of weeks. Uh, so we filmed a number of episodes in Bowling Green, Ohio, uh, with a, an outfit called Awaken Catholic. Great group of folks out there. Then I spoke at a uh, Together in Holiness. Bishop Strickland invited me to Tyler, Texas. Sure. Spoke at a marriage conference there. And then I went to West Palm Beach, Florida. You know, Sophia Institute has a teacher's symposium that they're doing. And so I spoke to a group of teachers in West Palm Beach, Florida, and this was the first of uh, several different teacher workshops and symposiums that I'm going to be giving through the Sophia Institute. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, then I went to um, spoke to Legatus in Raleigh, North Carolina. Legatus is a great group. Yeah. Uh, then I spoke at Franciscan University in Steubenville, which was great. That was my like eighth time, I think, in Franciscan. Awesome. Then I spoke at Fort Hayes State University in Hayes, Kansas, my second time there. I had a wonderful time with the students. And then I spoke in a, a little bit of a, a Kansas tour. I was in Hayes, then I went to Beloit, where I spoke at a school, and then to Concordia, where I did a parish event. And so now, you know, just uh, gearing up again to go back on the road, three uh, Advent missions before I come back uh, to Oregon. And uh, yeah, but I've been busy, but it's been really good. That's delightful. It's always awesome to be able to uh, to travel, and it sounds like you've been basically getting your way all the way around the country. So that's pretty awesome, coast to coast almost. 
Well, no, yeah. not almost, yeah. quite literally. Yeah, right? from San Francisco and West Palm Beach. Yeah, <laughs> West Palm Beach, sure. Yeah, but I'm just grateful to God, you know, and I'm I'm just able to uh, to continue to to spread the gospel and to bring ho- hopefully help to bring people to a deeper love and intimacy of Jesus Christ, which is what our show is about as well. Absolutely. You know, it's it's good to be back with you and uh, to ha- welcome back our, our producer, Aaron, and, and just the, the band is back together, as they say. Yeah, and so, right. <laughs> and, and of course, you know, just in the last few weeks, we had that wonderful chat with our friend Paul Sens about his book about Fatima. Those uh, aired recently, and then you probably have heard a couple encore episodes, but uh, we're now back and this is live and we're really excited because we are going to be chatting about a document that uh, has just been shared with us kind of passed by the u.s conference of catholic bishops at their november meeting and it's a document that we've been talking about for a while it's been in the news uh, and now the bishops have passed this wonderful document called the mystery of the eucharist in the life of the church and it really is the first teaching document on the Eucharist for the church in the United States that is pointing us back to and calling us back to a deeper love and appreciation and reverence for the Eucharist, which is the source and summit of our Christian lives. And so I'm really excited to be talking about this with you, Deacon, uh, having read it now a couple times and and made some notes. I think we're going to have a great conversation about the single most important sacrament that feeds us, nourishes us, and that is our life. And so this is going to be a great conversation, I think, Deacon. And not only is this very timely, but also very needed. Yeah. Um, It's timely in the sense that, of course, in the places that I mentioned I've been traveling to, I've been speaking to a number of pastors, and the common thing that I'm hearing, they're about at half capacity for the most part. Wow. In other words, Half of the people who are attending Mass before have come back post-COVID, now, now that the, the churches are open again. And so the struggle is, how do you get that other half of the people to come back? Because, you know, I think we, we talked about this before, is that prior to COVID, people were thinking, they had the understanding from, you know, what catechesis they had, that Mass was important. If there's nothing else, I have to go to Mass. And then that was gone for a year. Right. So, and so now... They're thinking, well, again, again, I don't think it was was the intention uh, of the bishops, but I think that the unintended effect was, well, I guess Mass isn't as important as I thought it was if I don't have to go for a year. And remember, the the, the dispensation was not, it was you didn't have to go to Mass. It didn't say you had to watch it on television or streaming. You didn't have to do anything, you know? And so I think what that did was what little catechesis people had on the Eucharist was destroyed. I mean, yeah. it, it, it was just lost. So now, you know, people are floundering. Uh, like I said, half the, in, in most cases, only half the people attendance are coming back. So I think this document is timely in the sense that this is the time. And I said this before, Ken, that we need a Eucharistic Renaissance, that we yep. need a, a resurgence of the love and dedication and devotion to Jesus Christ present, body, blood, soul, divinity, and Eucharist. I think that's what is going to strengthen us and get us back together as a family of God, because we're an incarnational church. We need to be with people. People are still afraid, you know, of the COVID thing. And so, yeah, we got to wear our mask and whatever, you know, we're asked to do by the church, but that's still not an excuse not to come back together as a family of God. You know, 1 John 4, 19, John says, perfect love casts out all fear. And we have to learn to love more than to be afraid. 
So that's why I think this document is both timely and important. And the second piece, just very quickly, is that, you know, we all heard the statistics from um, Bishop Barron when um, he made his presentation to the USCCB uh, over a year ago, where he talked about uh, 69% of Catholics did not believe that Jesus Christ was present, body, blood, soul, divinity, and the Eucharist. And right. that only 30% of Catholics were attending Mass on a regular basis. That was before COVID. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, I mean, so we already had work to do prior to Masses being postponed for over a year. So now, I think, you know, bringing those two things together, the lack of uh, poor catechesis and the fact that people didn't have a great devotion to the Eucharist and now... Uh, on the other side of COVID restrictions, I think this is an absolutely perfect time for this document to come out and the bishops to be talking about this. I think what you've just said is exactly why why we're also excited to be talking about this document too, because one of the things that you and I, Deacon, have chatted about is, you know, you use the term a renaissance, a Eucharistic renaissance. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops actually talks about a Eucharistic revival, which is itself an amazing word, because revival isn't a typical term that Catholics use, right? This is our evangelical brothers and sisters. Talk about a revival, you know, setting up the tent and coming out and actually proclaiming your life for Christ and having that altar call, all these sorts of things that we think about when we think about evangelism. Well, guess what? Our bishops are calling us to evangelize as well, but calling us to evangelize with the Eucharist at the center of our lives. And so in 2024, the bishops are calling for American Catholics to celebrate a great national Eucharistic revival, and we are building to that now. And this document, The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church, is really a kickoff for that, kind of building us so that we understand and what the Eucharist does mean for us. And as you said, if only 30% of Catholics in that 2019 Pew poll were able to articulate that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, if only 30% then were able to articulate that, that number is lower now because we've fallen away and we haven't been fed and we just, we're lazy. The reality is we're lazy people. And by not having to go to mass, by not having that be a regular part of our lives, we begin to fill that gap with other things. When truly, as St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. You know, speak about that God-shaped hole in our heart. Well, that God-shaped hole just happens in my vision to be shaped like the host, the Eucharistic host. It's Christ that fills our hearts. I read an interview just uh, this week with uh, Bishop Kevin Rhodes. Bishop Kevin Rhodes is the bishop of the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend, my my bishop, my local bishop. He was also, until this meeting, the chair of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Doctrine. And that is the committee that actually drafted and wrote this, this document that the bishops passed. And this interview, in the interview, Bishop Rhodes was describing what this document, The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church, what its goals were and what they were aiming to do. And so I want to just read a little bit of a, a quote from Bishop Rhodes here. He says, The Eucharist gets to the very heart of our faith, our redemption. This document brings that forth. God's love is revealed in Christ and seen most vividly in the crucifixion. And that's why the emphasis on the Eucharist as sacrifice is really important. And we're going to hear 
the Eucharist as sacrifice as being a key part of this document. Because when we're talking, the bishop goes on, when we're talking about this amazing gift of self-giving love by the Son of God made man. So the incarnation, our redemption, he says, all of that is in this document. I mean, he says, it gets to the fundamentals of our faith, our need for redemption. And the Eucharist makes present that great act of divine love. He says, I think a revival of the faith through a Eucharistic revival is a great need. And I think that's why there's a lot of excitement about the USCCB's 2024 plans for a Eucharistic revival. So that's kind of what Bishop Rhodes said. That's what drove the writing of this document to start. Now, an interesting thing happened in the news cycle about this document back in June at the bishop's meeting. And even before that, it got bogged down in this discussion about, well, are they going to call out Catholic politicians and tell bishops that they have to deny the Eucharist to people? That's not what this document is about. This document is about the Eucharist, the importance of the Eucharist, not only the Eucharist as gift, but then our reaction and our response to the gift. And so that's the two main kind of parts of this document, the Eucharist as gift and response. And tonight and and over the next uh, few shows as we discuss this, we're going to be exploring gift and response, the mystery of the Eucharist in the life of the church. And so I'm really excited about this. Yeah, and it does talk about the principles with regard to worthiness to receive communion, not just politics, but anybody. You know, which is what I liked about it. So it wasn't a polarizing document. It wasn't a politicizing document. It's a document talking about the Eucharist. But I think it's left to every bishop, you know, given these, these are the principles and the guidelines that that bishops have to follow uh, with regard to people of uh, public, have a public reputation, have a public profile. And, right. and about receiving communion, but it doesn't get to, to naming specifics or anything like that. But it gives everyone who reads the document an understanding of the general principles involved in that, which, I, again, which I really appreciate because you can apply this to anyone. So divorced or remarried, or people who are who are publicly um, said, I am no longer Catholic, or whatever, you know. So, yeah. again, but it's not the focus of the document, which I think is, is very important because we have to get back to really falling in love with Jesus again, you know, yeah. uh, in, in the Eucharist. And that's really what the, the focus of the document is about. Yeah, Bishop Rhodes actually said kind of that that same thing, too. He goes on to say, the document tries to make clear how this relates to the way we live. The Eucharist nourishes our Christian life. The body and blood of Christ strengthens us to live as disciples in the world. There are social implications of the Eucharist. We have a whole section in the document that treats this, he says. We become almost like Pharisees if we separate our worship from our life. Our faith has to be lived with the help of God's grace so that we strive to imitate Christ in his self-giving love. And I love that image of being, you know, we too can become Pharisees. It's like, well, look, I'm at Mass, therefore I should receive— does your life correspond with, does your lived life correspond with what we are proclaiming? And we're going to get to some, the conversation about that, and and we're going to see wonderful references to the teaching of Pope Francis, and we're going to see Pope Benedict, we're going to see Pope John Paul II, Pope St. Paul VI, they're all in here. The popes of the Second Vatican Council are all through this document. It's a beautiful document. And here's the awesome thing. It's freely available on the uh, Conference of Bishops website, usccb.org. 
freely available right on their homepage. It's 31 pages. And that's double-spaced, large type. It doesn't even take you that long to read, folks. So you can download that. We're going to put a, a link on our on our Facebook page so that you can easily click through. But you can also just type it into your web browser, usccb.org. And the document is, again, The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church. And we really do want you to... Uh, click through and read it along with us uh, as we are discussing that over these next few weeks. So with that said, Deacon, how about if we get into talking about the document itself? Yeah, yeah, and you're right about the length. When I printed it out on my printer double-sided, it's only 15 pages. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I have exactly. a safe paper, Ken. See, See look I'm, at you being all green and stuff. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the document starts off um, recognizing the effect of the global pandemic. Uh, in the life of of worship uh, in the church, uh, and and it, it starts off talking about that. So I'm sure some people might remember this, that really kind of um, haunting scene of Pope Francis walking alone, uh, Peter's St. Peter's Square completely empty, and the Pope in the rain walking alone to offer prayer uh, for the world in that time of global pandemic crisis. It was just really stark and just really stunning, you know, because all the, the time, Ken, that we've been to St. Peter's has been packed. Yeah. You know, standing room only, or even times you're just walking through, there's always people there, you mm -hmm. know, and to just see that image of him walking alone across to offer prayer for the world was just really something to see. And so it, you know, the document starts off recognizing that this, pandemic did have effect uh, on the faith life of people. Uh, and so uh, I'm so glad they start off with that image too, because it was, uh, I remember seeing that and just going, wow, you know, uh, just really kind of brought it home for me. Yeah, that was the moment, you know, I kind of think about um, the Holy Father standing there, you know, in, in an empty St. Peter's Square, but then blessing the world with the, with the monstrance, blessing all of creation with the monstrance. And, and I think about it as, a very lonely time because that was right at the beginning of the lockdown. What was it? March 27th, 2020 was the date of that, of that very special prayer service from St. Peter's Basilica and Pope Francis with the monstrance blessing with the Eucharist blessing the world. And I thought of it as a hopeful sign in a time when there was so much uncertainty. And even today, there's still great uncertainty in our lives. There's still great uncertainty in the world. You know, there are countries still on lockdown. There are countries that are increasing lockdown. Um, we've lost so many friends and family and had so many friends and family who've gotten sick and fortunately gotten well. But it's a time of uncertainty. And for the Holy Father to not even preach, but to pray with us, to pray and to offer the blessing of the Eucharist, that shows the power of the Eucharist in our lives as well. And I thought it was a sign of great hope. And so, yeah, I think this is a great way for the bishops to begin this, um, this, this document. And they quote Pope Francis when they say, Faith, he said, begins when we realize we are in need of salvation. We are not self-sufficient. By ourselves, we found her. We need the Lord like ancient navigators needed the stars. And what is the star that he's holding in front of us but the Eucharist itself? Yeah, that's really important. Um, you know, I told the school kids in um, Beloit, Kansas, you know, that in the culture, the culture worships the Trinity too, me, myself, and I. 
<laughs> you know, so so that the fact that the the Pope recognizes that we are all in need of salvation. We are not self-sufficient. We are not in this alone. It's not about me. I am not the center of the universe. And our lives should be focused on Christ, right? And, and Christ is the stars that help us navigate through life, right? Christ is the GPS. And yeah, I got I got my GPS on my phone, but that's only going to help me to get from here to South Bend. That ain't going to get me from here to heaven. I, I need I need the Jesus GPS, bro. <laughs> That's what's gonna get me to my to our true home in heaven, you know. Uh, and, and I think the the, the Eucharist and Christ's presence in the Eucharist is a, a beautiful reminder of the words of John Paul II um, that the, the bishops also talking about uh, quoting. For, uh, Christ from Matthew 28, you know, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's like, that's almost, I think it's the last line of Matthew's gospel, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the last words, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's what the Eucharist for us as Catholics represents. Christ is truly present and with us. He kept his promise to his church. Yeah. Paragraph three, the uh, the bishops, again, call to mind what the pandemic, the effects it had here on the church in America. Many of the faithful appear to have had their faith and their desire for the Eucharist strengthened by such a long separation, they say. At the same time, as pastors, we sense that others, having lived without Mass for so long, may have become discouraged or accustomed to life without the Eucharist. And, you know, as I mentioned before, that that is the reality for many of us. And I know I talked about it, too. Um, at our parish, we had instituted weekly Eucharistic exposition and adoration at the very beginning of 2020 on New Year's Day. And that was, we were able to keep that throughout the, the lockdown. And that was the only way we could get near the Eucharist during the entire lockdown, because we weren't meeting on Sundays. We weren't having daily Mass available to us. But once a week, we could go in and have adoration and exposition with the Lord. We could spend time with Him. And so it actually strengthened my own personal appreciation for the power of adoration and that centering that, that centering power of being near and in the presence of the Eucharist. And I know holy hours are a regular part of your spirituality, Deacon, the, even when you're traveling and things like that. And it's it's become part of mine, too. It is, it's become the highlight of my week, to be honest. Yeah, you know, when I'm traveling, if the parish has a Eucharistic Adoration Chapel, I pray all of my um, Liturgy of the Hours there. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm in there sometimes two hours or more a day. You know, um, so I, I love spending time before the Eucharist. And, and you know, and, and they said, the, the bishops mentioned becoming discouraged or accustomed to life without the Eucharist. And a lot of people blame the bishops. You know, they're like, you took Jesus away from us. And I'd hear things like during the the plague, you know, like guys like St. Charles um, Borromeo. Borromeo and others, mm -hmm. you know, they brought the Eucharist to people and during the plague. And this is not as bad as the plague. And all that kind of, I mean, I, I get all that. I can understand the frustration. And just like anything sure. else, we always want to find somebody to blame. You know, right. if something terrible happens in our life, then we want to blame God, right? It's, you know, I, I think it's a natural human tendency. But, you know, and I and I appreciate the fact that the bishops are, were between a rock and a hard place, right? I mean, right. So, so, but some of the bishops did encourage the priest to get creative. <laughs> and so we saw things, Ken, we saw things like, Bishops having the monstrous outside the window of the rectory right, and, right. and people driving their cars up and having adoration 
while sitting in their car with the Blessed Sacrament at the window. We saw drive-through confessions. You know, we saw masses in parking lots where, you know, uh, the, the priest would say mass through a loudspeaker. Or, and I, I, don't, I know one parish, where was that again? One parish got creative because they had a um, they, Catholic radio hooked it up so they were able to broadcast mass to the people listening in their cars, right, you know, when the priest was sitting in the parking lot. So people got creative. Yep. They put a, there was one parish in, um, where they put up a huge, massive tent. And so they had, you know, the, instead of having three masses, they had like six masses because they could only fit so many people in the tents. And they were all, the people inside the tent were all spaced, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And they had, uh, you know, people kept their coats on because they had a, the uh, event open in the tent so air can get through and all that. But they sure. found creative ways, found ways to, to do bring it. the Eucharist to people. You know, and I, and I think that's part of the, the beauty and ingenuity um, and the flexibility of the church to be able to find ways to still uh, have people be close to Christ. I love it. You got to you, you have to let me do this one dad joke. I'm and here it goes. You ready? I'm certain that those masses that took place under the big top, those were intense. <laughs> Sorry, they can't all be funny, folks. But you know that's the oh, I work with Ken. the material I'm given. <laughs> uh, In, that was good. That was a good dad. That was a good dad joke. You're right. Uh, You're right. Go ahead. You can use that royalty free, Deacon. <laughs> um, paragraph five has a wonderful quotation from Dorothy Day, a servant of God. Dorothy Day, an American. Uh, she says, "We go eat." of this fruit of the tree of life because Jesus told us to. He took upon himself our humanity that we might share in his divinity. We are nourished by his flesh that we may grow to be other Christs. I believe this literally, she said, just as I believe the child is nourished by the milk from his mother's breast. That's witness to the Eucharist. It nourishes us and feeds us. And that's why the Eucharist is our way bread for the journey, as it were. It's it's what keeps us alive in our spiritual life. And this entire opening section then kind of ends with the bishop saying, we would like in this document to reflect on Christ's gift of himself in the Eucharist and our response to that gift. So again, those are the two parts we're going to see and discuss here in this document. Gift of the Eucharist and our response there too. But that's what we're going to discuss over the next few days, uh, over the next few weeks, folks. So we're out of time right now, Ken. So how can people stay in touch with us till, till next week? Well, it's pretty easy. You can find us, uh, download all the previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. And you can also connect with us on Facebook. Just type in Living Stones Media. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing. Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.